0: Last weekend, I highlighted a four-word phrase that is very common in our culture. Remember what it was? Simply, in God we what? Trust. But we changed it just a little bit last weekend. We added a question mark to the end of that statement. And we asked the question, do we really trust in God? And We gave a definition from Scripture as to what we believe the word trust means as it applies to God. And I want to put that definition back up on the screen. Here's what we said trust means. It means to depend with confidence on the character, ability, strength, and truth of God for everything in my life. And when we think about it like that, in God we trust. Confident dependence on the character, ability, strength, and truth of God, not for most things, but for everything in my life. In God we trust. Can it really be said of us that we trust in God with everything? And last weekend I said to you I find it somewhat ironic that the phrase in God we trust is most commonly found in our society inscribed on the very thing that we have the most difficulty trusting God with. Where do we find that phrase written in our culture? It's written on what? Our money, right? It's written on our money. We have that inscribed on our currency in the United States and so many times we have difficulty trusting God with our resources. And last weekend we laid down uh, what we called kind of a foundational statement. It's kind of the big umbrella. And then we began to give some life application principles under that big umbrella. So I want to put that statement back up on the screen and I want you to read it out loud with me. All right, this is what we looked at last weekend. You ready? Here we go. One, two, three. I am to trust God with everything in my life by honoring Him with what He has given to me and He promises to satisfy me with enough. And He promises to, I skipped a word, didn't I? Always satisfy me with enough. That's what we talked about. We went to Proverbs chapter 3. We looked at those great verses about trusting God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. And we laid down that principle that you and I are to trust God with everything in our lives. And then we read on in Proverbs, two verses later, where the writer of Proverbs says that one of the ways we demonstrate our trust in God is by trusting Him with our resources. Because in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, He said, Honor God from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so that your barns may be filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. And after laying down that foundational principle we begin to make some application statements. And I I wanted to give you these in review just quickly because what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna continue those life application principles. We looked at two last weekend Under the umbrella of this overarching statement. And we're going to look at three more of them this morning. Here's the first one we said last weekend. If I'm going to honor God. Number one. I am to honor God by faithfully managing what I already have for His glory. In that text in Proverbs. He says we're to honor God with our wealth. That simply means with everything that we already have. I am to honor. The word honor means to to demonstrate worth worth or value meaning that the way I manage the resources that God's entrusted to me should demonstrate the worth and the value and the priority that I place on God and my relationship with him in my life here was the second principle from last weekend I am to honor God out of my increase by giving first to his work The Bible says, and from the first of all your produce. That principle of giving first. And here's what we said last weekend. This means that I don't take care of me first and then see what's left over for God. I first honor God and then trust Him to take care of me with what He has provided. That's as far as we went last weekend. Those two principles under that big umbrella of I'm to trust God with everything in my life by honoring Him with what He's given me, and He always satisfies me with enough. This weekend, I want you to take your Bible, turn to Malachi chapter 3. I know what some of you are thinking. Where in the world is Malachi? You, oh, you mean Malachi. Oh, I know where that one is, right? It's the last book in the Old Testament. If you hit the Gospel of Matthew, you've gone too far. Put the brakes on and back up one book of the Bible. The book of Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Listen to what God says to His people. Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me. But you say, "How, how have we robbed you? in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. What I want to do out of this passage of Scripture is continue what we began last weekend by giving you three new life application principles, and I want to introduce them with questions. I want to ask a question, then I'm going to immediately give you an answer with the life application principle, and then we're going to unpack what that principle looks like in our lives. Here's question number one. Why should I give? Why should I give? Well, let me give you the life application principle. Look at it on the screen. There is a direct relationship between God's kingdom activity and my giving. Why should I give? Because there is a direct relationship between God's activity in the world and my Giving. Well, what is that relationship? What does it look like? Well, let me unpack it for you with two other statements. Here's the first part. God's activity is fueled by the giving of His people. Say that out loud with me. God's activity is fueled by the giving of His people. Did you hear it in verse 10? He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. God is not needy, all right? God is not in heaven wringing his hands, saying oh man I hope my people all over the earth give so I can accomplish my purposes on the earth. God's not needy. As a matter of fact the Bible says in the book of Psalms that the world is his and all it contains meaning that God owns it all. He does not command us to give because he needs our resources his command is an invitation to be involved in his activity. You see God in His sovereignty has chosen to carry out His work in this world through the giving of His people. He didn't have to do it that way. God could do His purpose without us. God could accomplish His activity without us. But God in His grace has invited us to get in on it and God carries out His activity through the generosity of His people. Charles Stanley great preacher and teacher. You may have heard him on television, on the radio, Charles Stanley said it this way, God provides for His people through His people. God provides for His people through His people. Let me me illustrate it for you. How many of you would say this morning that in some way your life has been blessed By this church. Let me see your hand. Just hold it up for just a minute. Don't put it down yet. Just keep it up. In some way, your life's been blessed by this church. Now, I want you to do something. I want you to look around. Just keep your hands up for just a minute. All right, you can put them down. Listen, if you have given here at Hope, you are sharing in God's activity in the life of every person that just raised their hand. You see the reality is every ministry that is carried out here at Hope is carried out through what you give week in and week out living generously investing in God's activity. We are not subsidized. We don't have a denominational headquarters out there somewhere that's sending money in. Every ministry that is carried out on a week in and week out basis is supported by the generosity and the giving of this fellowship. Of believers. So when you raise your hand and say, Man, God's done something, and I know some of your testimonies, I've heard them. I've heard them in email. I've heard them as you've shared them with me. There's some of you who would say, Man, I hadn't just been blessed. My life has been radically changed through what God's done in my life since I've connected in this fellowship. Where do the resources come from for that type of ministry to happen? I'll tell you where it comes from. You gave. There's a direct relationship between your giving and my giving and God's activity and the lives of people sitting right here. But let me take it a step further than that. We've been a church now for nine years. In those nine years, we've had the privilege and the blessing of starting ten churches out of our church. Ten brand new churches. On top of the ten brand new churches that we've been able to start, we've partnered with about ten other churches at some level in helping them to begin new churches. If you were to add all of those churches up this weekend, there will be over 5,000 people gathering to worship the Lord Jesus Christ as an expression of the body of Christ in a local community where they are serving, they are loving, they are sharing, they are giving. Listen, in those churches this morning, if I stood up and said, how many of you have been blessed by the ministry of this church? Guess what would happen? People would raise their hands. People that you've never even met. And yet, guess what? Where'd the resources come from for that to happen? You gave. And as you gave, God used your giving and my giving to touch people and to change lives. People that you and I will never meet this side of heaven. In the last nine years, God's allowed us by His grace to establish missional partnerships on four continents around the world. Those relationships that we have on four continents around the world, in the last 12 months alone, we've had the opportunity through those relationships to train over 10,000 church planters, missionaries, pastors, and church leaders from over 30 different countries. Some of those countries that we're working in are countries that are closed countries. Here's what that means. You cannot send a missionary in. It's illegal. And we're having the privilege and the opportunity to pour into the lives of those 10,000 plus pastors from 30 plus different countries. And last year, those 10,000 pastors and those missional partnerships that we have reported last year, listen, just in the last 12 months, over 100 thousand people being personally led to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior now listen I'm not just talking about us giving some money to a mission board and a mission board carrying out a project and and seeing people come to Christ. If you want to count all that, there have been well over 600,000 people that have come to Christ. When I say 100,000, I'm talking about direct line relationships with ministries that our church is personally involved in and working with on a month-by-month basis as Hope Baptist Church. Where did the resources come? Where did they come from to touch over 30 countries, over 10,000 leaders, over 100,000 people coming to Christ from every corner of the world? Let me tell you where it came from. You gave. And there is a direct relationship between your giving. You see, it's our giving that fuels God's activity. God doesn't need us, but that's the way He's designed it to be carried out. On top of that, as a church, we've established ministries that are serving in prisons... Feeding the homeless. Helping families in crisis. The Lord's allowed us to start one ministry that is facilitating the renovation of inner city schools in over 13 cities across this country. Where'd the resources come from to do all that? You gave. And there's a direct relationship between your giving and God's activity in the world. It's the fuel for God's activity. But Let me show you another part of this. The lack of giving robs God and limits my involvement in His activity. You see, God's activity is fueled by the giving of His people, but the lack of giving robs God and limits my involvement in His activity. God says something very interesting here in Malachi chapter 3. He says, you are robbing me. In the Hebrew language, there are three different (coughs) words that we translate into English with the word rob or steal. But they mean something different. For example, one of them means to take by force. It's the idea of of thievery or robbing or stealing from someone by force. Another word is is to take by oppression. It's the word that we might best understand as the word extortion, the extortion of money from someone. Another Hebrew word is the word that means to take by deception. We might understand it better with the word fraud or embezzlement. The Hebrew word that the writer here in Malachi uses is that third definition. It is to steal by deception. It's the idea of embezzlement. That's kind of a bad word, isn't it? Embezzlement. What does it mean? Here's what it means. To take for personal use money or property that has been given on trust by others without their knowledge or permission. And here's the principle. Because God has established that His people give first a portion to His work. To not give is to steal that which belongs to God. You see, God's blessed us with everything that we have and God said, I'm to honor Him by giving first to His work out of what He's given to me. It all belongs to Him. I'm to take first and invest in God's activity. When I take that, part, that portion and I use that for me, what I'm really doing is I'm taking kingdom resources and I'm spending them on myself. And God says, when you do that, It's embezzlement. Now, it's one thing to embezzle from a company, right? I mean, that's bad. We're talking about embezzling from the kingdom of God. You see, there's a direct relationship between God's activity and my giving. And part of that is God's given it to me as a trust to be used for Him. And when I use what He's given to me to be used for Him on myself, I'm not only robbing from God, listen, I'm limiting my involvement in His activity. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. God's going to accomplish His work whether we give or not. He's going to carry out His purposes. He doesn't need us. But when you and I rob God, we miss the opportunity to join in what He's doing. Listen, those churches that have been planted, that work that God's doing in 30 countries, God could do that with or without hope. But what would we have missed had we not lived generous? I think that's what he's talking about when he says you're under a curse. The curse of missed opportunities, missed involvement, when he's writing to his children here in the book of Malachi. Well, let me ask a second question How much should I give? How much should I give? Some of you are thinking, uh oh, Pastor, I love to hear you preach and I'm with you 99% of the time, but I don't know where you're headed here. You're making me a little nervous. Well, let me give you the principle. God's people have always regularly given a portion of what God has given to them. God's people have always regularly given a portion of what God has given to them. Some Christians have the idea that it was that Old Testament law. You know, that law that we're not under anymore, I mean, we're under great. it was that Old Testament law that required this giving of a portion to God. But that's a great misunderstanding. The law included that principle, but the law did not institute that principle. As a matter of fact, 500 years before the law was ever written, Abraham, then his grandson Jacob... The Bible records for us in the book of Genesis that both of them gave a tenth of everything that they had to the Lord. Not because there was a law that required it. They had a relationship with God and it was their relationship with God that they wanted to honor God with everything that they had. They recognized that it was all a gift from God. And so they lived with it in a way that honored God by giving a portion of what God had given to them. It's always been the case. Then under the law it became a part of the law. The law included this principle. It didn't start it, it included it. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 16 on the screen. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which He has given you. The law included this principle of giving a portion of what God has given to me as an investment back in the Lord's work. And if you really examine the law, it was 10% was required, and in some aspects of the law, as much as 23.5% is what was given under the law. And then after the law, in the New Testament church, the early Christians continued in this pattern of giving out of what God had given to them as an investment in God's Word. Look at Acts 11, verse 29 on the screen. It says, And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. Do you hear it? As any of the disciples had means means it meant as had been given to them according to what God had given to them they took a portion of what God had given and they invested that in God's activity here's the point throughout the history of man's relationship with God people have given to the Lord out of what God has given to them so I want to give you a new thought this morning all right new thought I want you look at this up on the screen Giving a portion is not a requirement of the law. It is a privilege of the relationship. If we would get that, it'd change our perspective. We don't give because it's a requirement of the law, we give because it's the privilege of the relationship that we have with God. God's invited us into a relationship with himself and because of that there are privileges. One of the privileges is we get the joy of giving and God's activity. You say how's that a privilege? Well, first of all it's a privilege because we get to be involved, right? Listen, all those things we talked about a moment ago, you know what's going to happen. We're going to get to heaven one day, and we're going to be able to celebrate all that God did in the lives of people. We're going to be able to enjoy that and rejoice. Not because we did anything, but God allowed us to be involved in it. And it's a privilege that we have to be able to say we can share in what God's doing in the world. But it's also a privilege because we get the joy of laying up treasures in heaven. Turn over a couple of pages in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Listen to what Jesus said. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to start studying that in two weeks. And we're going to be digging through these verses in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. But look in Matthew 6, verse 19. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Some people hear those verses and they think what Jesus is against is He's against storing up treasures. But that's not what He's against. He's not here saying don't store up treasures. He's saying don't store them up in the wrong place. Look at this quote on the screen by Randy Alcorn. Listen what he said. Jesus didn't tell us not to store up treasures. On the contrary, He commanded us to store up treasures. He simply said... Stop storing them up in the wrong place. Start storing them up in the right place. Jesus isn't saying it's wrong to invest. He's saying don't make a stupid investment, make a smart one. You hear what he's saying here? He's saying, man, we have the privilege of laying up treasures in heaven. You know what that is? That's insider information, it's a tip about a great investment. And we only have the information because we have a what? We got a relationship to the one that controls that economy, right? And he's given us some insight. He said, listen, don't lay up your treasure down here where moth and rust and thieves are going to destroy it. Lay it up in heaven because there it's eternal. You'll never lose it. The only reason we have that information is because we got a relationship, right? It's a privilege that we have to be able to give. I love the way Jim Elliott said it. Look at it on the screen. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Well, where do we start If we're going to practice this thing of giving a portion of our income, where where do I start, Pastor? Well, people debate whether or not the tithe is for New Testament Christians. And I'd say there's room for debate there. We We can debate that issue and we can't be dogmatic about it. But let me tell you to think about it this way. If we want to throw the tithe out as something that's Old Testament, know this. Every example of giving in the New Testament far exceeds the tithe anyway. When you take the New Testament, Jesus never diminished the law. Jesus came along and he said, hey, you you say the law says thou shalt not murder? I say, if you have hatred in your heart towards someone you've already murdered in your heart. Jesus said, you've heard it said in the law, you shall not commit adultery. I say, if you have lust for someone in your heart that you've already committed adultery in your heart. Jesus didn't take the law and diminish it. Jesus took the law and went, right? Every New Testament expression goes beyond the Old Testament principle of the tithe. But but let me tell you my personal conviction. This is what my family's done, just to kind of give you some handles. For us, our conviction was the tithe was a starting place. Kind of like training wheels. God gave us the principle of the tithe like a training wheel on a bike. When you get a new bike, you put the training wheels on, right? And you ride the bike with the training wheels, but guess what happens? You learn how to ride the bike, so you don't need the training wheels anymore, right? You take them off, you don't have to use them. It's been a long time in my family since we've had a conversation about a tie long time you know why because that was a starting point for us and now God's led us to a point of giving way beyond that so we don't have to have that conversation about the tithe anymore that was a starting place that's how we got started in this practice of giving but now we're able to live generously beyond that because God's taught us the principle that we can trust him if you can find a starting place that's better than the tithe wonderful but if not why not start where God started His first covenant people in the Old Testament. Third question. Can I really afford to give? Sometimes when we go through difficult seasons like we've been through in America in the last 24 months, although all those seasons are relative, when you see what's happening in Haiti, it makes what we've experienced in the last 24 months seem not quite as severe when we go through things like that i know i saw the bird he's been flying around the whole service (laughs) when we go through things like that we, we begin to ask questions like can i really afford to give well let me say it another way i believe personally i can't afford not to give and i know for the english students out there that double negative is wearing you out but it's real good theology I can't afford not to give let me give you the principle we do not give to get however when you give you invite God's blessing into your life we don't give to get that's not the heart motive but when we out of a sense of honor live with this principle of investing in God's activity because we recognize everything I've got, I've got because God gave it to me anyway. And Lord, I want to honor you and thank you, so I'm going to give first and best out of what you've given to me as an investment in your activity in the world because God, I realize that your activity is directly linked to my giving and Lord, it's a privilege to be able to be involved in that. I give like that, I'm inviting the blessing of God into my life. Let me tell you two reasons you can't afford not to give. Number one, when you give, God will bless your life. Do you hear what he said in Malachi 3? He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. Do you hear what he's saying there? Here's what he's saying. Trust me. Just trust me. And the picture is is, is of someone taking a container, this is that word pour out, to take a container and literally empty the contents, to turn it completely over and just pour it out. And the Bible says until it overflows, meaning that the box that I've got to catch it is spilling over the side. There's not enough box to hold what he's pouring in. And here's the image. God the Father is waiting with everything that he has on his fingertips Ready to make a blessing, ready to to shower us, ready to pour into our lives. I'm not talking about a get rich, wealthy kind of thing where if we give, God's going to double it and give it back. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about the blessing and favor of the provision of God on my life, in this life and in the life to come. When I begin to honor Him, He promises that He's waiting. And how many times have I missed that? Because I just didn't trust Him. I took what I had and I said, wow. I don't think I can afford that. If you could see Him, you'd realize you can't afford not to. We invite God's blessing into our lives. He provides what we don't have. That's what the Bible says. He'll pour a blessing. But then He also sustains what we do have. That's what He says there in verse 11 when He says, I'll rebuke the devourer and I'll, I'll cause them not to destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your uh, vines cast off their grapes. You know what I believe with all my heart? I believe when I begin to live this principle out in my life, I believe that God provides in ways that I don't even realize. Like the tires on my car last longer utility bill might be lower. I believe with all of my heart that the principle of this text is that God will sustain what I do have when I'm living this principle and I don't think we'll ever be able to add that up in this life. We don't even know the ways God's doing things we can't even calculate. You hear me share personal stories out of my own life sometimes. And I think sometimes people think, "Oh yeah, that's great for the pastor. I mean, he got that direct line, you know." I well, I got an email this week from a family in our church, and I want to read you just a short paragraph out of it. This family wrote me this email, and they'd been experiencing over the last few years real difficulty. About three or four years ago, they came into our fellowship, and God began to speak to them about this issue in their life. And Listen to what they said. Talking about their first year at Hope, over the course of that year... God would speak to me through the messages you and the pastoral team preached. One in particular was a segment on generosity. This would probably be one of the biggest turning points of my life. That message convicted me of how I was holding on to my wealth like it was mine, not God's. That giving to God's kingdom first from your produce, then paying everyone else after would actually multiply your produce. This was foreign to me since I could barely put 5 to $10 a week in the basket. It was hard for me to think to tithe first and then pay bills. Mathematically, in my mind, it didn't add up. But that day convicted me that this was probably the only area I really didn't trust Him with. The next pay period, before paying my bills like I usually do in my office, I sat with the checkbook open, knowing in my mind there wouldn't be enough, and prayed before the Lord. It was extremely hard for me, I admit, but I trusted Him that He would provide. That week, for the first time ever, I wrote a check out to be used for God's work first before everything else, then began paying bills. Amazingly, it was barely enough to cover everything. We lived very meagerly, but we survived. The next two years and up to including today. And he wrote this this week. Think about the last two years. The next two years up to and including today, we've almost consistently followed this principle of giving God first. It's been an amazing two years. Within this time, God has more than provided. Not only have I been made full-time at my job, my wife's had pay increases. We've had a successful investment that's ready to pay off. And what's crazy is that we've been giving more than we ever have, and actually have been able to put more into savings than ever at the exact same time. He says looking back over the past years I'm still in awe of God's grace and greatness. His fingerprints are all over everything that's happened for our family. I'm nowhere near done or finished. And we have a long way to go. But the difference is that I have God on my side. And I lean on him. And depend on Him for His strength and provision. Listen. When we give, we don't give to get. But we invite God's blessing into our lives. When we give, God blesses our lives. But also when we give, God blesses the lives of others through us. In verse 12 of our text, the Bible says, all the nations will call you blessed. Did you hear that phrase? All the nations. You see, the blessing of God on our lives becomes a testimony to the goodness and faithfulness of God in our lives, in the lives of others. It becomes a platform where we're able to share with others in the midst of difficult circumstances about the goodness and the faithfulness of God. You see, psalmist said it this way, God blesses us, That all the ends of the earth may fear Him. You see, God doesn't bless us so we can sit back and go, Man, look how blessed I am. No. He blesses us so that we might be a blessing. God doesn't bless us to raise our standard of living. God blesses us to raise our standard of giving. So that we can be a conduit through which He can use us for His glory. Now, in closing, God says something here in Malachi That he doesn't say anywhere else in the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. You know what he said? Test me. He doesn't say it anywhere else in the Bible. But here in Malachi 3, he says, You bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. You test me and see if I won't open for you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows you know what he's saying? here's what he's saying trust me sometimes we hear the word test God and we have kind of negative connotations about that right? I mean, we don't, you're not supposed to test God right? and a lot of times that's true we're not supposed to test God but when God says test me I think we're okay right? In the Old Testament, the children of Israel a lot of times were criticized and and actually um, spoken too harshly because of their testing of God. But there's a wrong way to test God. You see, a wrong way to test God is when we test God, when we fail to believe. We have a lack of faith in what God has spoken. And because we don't believe Him, we say, God, I need you to give me a sign. Give me something. I'm testing you to see if this is what you're really saying. We don't believe Him. But the right way to test God is when we put faith in what He said and we just trust Him. You see, God's spoken in Malachi, and here's what He's saying. Trust me. So here's what I'm asking you to do. We're challenging all of us today from Scripture to what we're calling a 60-day trust challenge. When you leave today, you're going to get a little card. It's going to be handed to you that looks just like what you see there on the screen. It has that statement on it. I'm to trust God with everything in my life by honoring Him with what He's given to me. And He promises to always satisfy me with enough. And what I want you to do is take this card. And I want you to put it in a place that you'll remember it. Put it in your Bible, on your desk, in your office, in your car, on the mirror, in the bathroom, wherever you'll see it. And here's what I'm asking you to do. Take the next 60 days. And first of all, if you're somebody who already is practicing this principle, there are many of you at Hope, man, you're already living this out. You're just fleshing this out week in and week out. If you're already practicing this principle, here's what I want you to do for the next 60 days. For the next 60 days, I want you to be intentional about examining your heart. Sometimes when we've been practicing this principle, we've been doing it for so long that we don't really think about it anymore. It's just become a routine. Do you still give with a sense of joy? Do you still give with a sense of expectancy that God's going to use that gift to make a difference in somebody's life? Where's your heart? Is it just a practice? Now, is it just routine? Is it old conversation or, or is it fresh? For some of us who are practicing this, listen, the last year and a half to two years has caused us to still practice, but now we're practicing not with a sense of trust but with a sense of Fear. I want you to take 60 days, be intentional about examining your heart. And then secondly, I want you to examine how you practice it. When's the last time you said, Lord, am I really managing everything you've given me in a way that honors you? Lord, am I really doing with your stuff what you want me to do? God, is there something different you want me to be about? Or is there another way you want me to invest in your kingdom? Take 60 days and examine. And then for those of you that are here today who've never practiced this consistently, maybe you've dropped an offering in here or there, maybe you've given to a ministry uh, somewhere here or there, but it's not been the consistent practice of your life to invest in God's activity. If that's you today, here's what I'm challenging you to do for the next 60 days. Number one, I want you to seek God about where you should start. Find that place for you. The tithe or some place... Around that, you, you determine before the Lord, where's the starting place for you? And then secondly, I want you to trust Him by obeying what He says. And thirdly, I want you to keep a journal of what He does. Over the next 60 days, I want you to write it down. Man, when, when God does some things, you just write it down, just for your sake, just so you can hang on to it, to have something to go back to, to see God's activity in your life. A 60-day trust challenge. It's what he said, right? Just test me. Just trust me. One last quote and I'm finished. Look on the screen by Randy Alcorn. Listen to what he said. The more you give, the more comes back to you. Now, he's not talking here about getting wealthy. He's talking about the blessing and favor of God. The more you give, the more it comes back to you because God is the greatest giver in the universe and He won't let you out give Him. Go ahead and try. See what happens. Trust in